Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful weekend, I am happy that you're joining us this weekend as we dig into God's Word. Uh, today we're going to look specifically at Psalm 146, and, and we're doing this on the occasion of what we would uh, call the Reformation or celebration of the Reformation. So October 31st, 1517, a reformer, a monk named Martin Luther, nailed 95 theses to a castle door. That resulted in, the, the, the implication of that and the ongoing results of that meant that the, the truths of the gospel of God's grace were returned to the Christian church. That act still has repercussions for us here today and across Christianity. And so on some level, that's what we're going to look at here today, um, the, the importance of, of anchoring ourselves in God's grace and in something that is far bigger than any church body, that is bigger than any institution, um, and that began way before us and will last way after us. And so that's kind of where we're headed today. Um, but we're going to have that theme of, of being anchored. We really want to talk about and kind of, kind of um, tease apart that concept of, of where do we find our solidity in a world that is often remarkably um, topsy-turvy and, and crazy? Uh, the, an anchor is important at certain times, isn't it? Uh, when I was in college, I worked with some of my best friends, with some of my college buddies uh, at a window and wall washing company. Maybe you've heard that before. Um, but one of the most enjoyable parts of that job during the summer um, was that we would go out on a boat. We would borrow one of our buddies' dad's boat, and, and we would go out on the boat almost every single weekend. And so this was kind of a, a work hard, play hard uh, type of summer job. So we would work work our butts off for five days in a row. And then almost every weekend, we'd get to use that boat and we'd get to go out on a lake. Now, this was Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And so these were Wisconsin lakes, right? And, and they're incredibly enjoyable, lots of access to them. And that was one of the highlights of that entire summer. And we'd get to go out and water ski and inner tube and just decompress and use the whole weekend to do that. It was one of the more enjoyable things and one of the more memorable things, but it's interesting because probably the most memorable event that happened during that summer was not joy and relaxation, but was rather something else that happened on that boat. Uh, we took that boat out on a certain day, and uh, it was beautiful, right? The, the lake was just crystal clear and calm, and calm. skies were blue. Perfect day to, to water ski and inner tube. Uh, we were enjoying ourselves in the, in the heat of that day, but things slowly started to change. Uh, we saw over the green trees and over the canopy on the shore, uh, some clouds kind of start to billow up. And then real quickly, those clouds went from being white to being really, really dark, almost a, a dark purple uh, color. And so now you can 
picture what was coming in at us. And what started as a real nice light breeze turned into almost a hurricane uh, um, force gale into our, into our faces. And pretty soon that, that storm overtook us. Um, and it came in so fast and it was so furious that we had very little time to know what to do. And so we looked at one another, and if you're on a lake and a storm comes in, your first reaction is to get to shore. Because what do you know about shore? Well, you know that that's where safety is, right? You know that you don't want to be on a lake when a storm comes in. And so we looked at one another and we thought, that's it. We've got to get to shore. But what happened happened so quickly. And the wind that came in was so furious that we couldn't see more than five inches in front of our faces. In fact, I can remember still to this day, um, I don't remember any other time in my life having to do this, but I had to shield my eyeballs from the driving rain that was coming at us so hard. I mean, you literally could not see. And so we wanted to escape this storm. We wanted to get to shore. But when you can't see five inches in front of your face, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. If we started towards shore, what we thought was the shore, we had no idea if we were close. We didn't know if we were going towards rocks. We didn't know if we were going towards a sandy beach or if we were going to hit somebody's dock. And so real rapidly, we realized the safest place for us was to remain right in the middle of that lake. Because we knew at least if we were in the middle of that lake, we wouldn't run into anything or anyone else. But there was a little bit of a problem with that too. Because that wind was so driving that it was starting to push our boat. It was pushing our boat all across that lake and we were having a hard time time controlling it. And so what's the solution? An anchor, right? And so we all said to one another, we've got to get the anchor. We, if we throw the anchor in, it'll grab the bottom. That'll keep us in place. It'll keep us safe. We'll wait for this storm to pass by. And so I was tasked with finding the anchor. I went to the back of the boat and I'm rubbaging around. And you would think in a boat, you shouldn't be that hard to find an anchor. But I dig, I dug and I dug and I dug and I got deeper and deeper and deeper. And finally, I found the anchor. And we were in a pretty sizable ski boat. And the anchor was no bigger than the anchor I used for the children's lesson. It was absolutely pitiful. Like, it was not going to hold anything. I held it up to the guys and I said, I found the anchor. And everybody laughed because it was so small. Regardless, we tossed it overboard. It went straight to the bottom and did nothing. It didn't stop our boat. It didn't hold up our boat. The best that it did was cause it cause us to have more problems steering that boat with the motors in the water. The anchor did not hold us fast. It did not help us or keep us safe in any way. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? An anchor is incredibly necessary when storms come in. We had not thought about needing an anchor the rest of that summer because in general, everything went well. But when a storm blew in, and we were scared out of our minds, we hoped, we prayed that we would have an anchor that would keep us safe. In this instance, we didn't. It simply was not heavy enough, was not big enough, and could not hold us against the wind and the storm that had come in. Now, cut to the end. We were okay. We survived. Uh, we ended up having to drive that boat into that driving wind for about a half an hour straight um, and actually had the, the engines kind of cranked because those winds were so strong. We were able to survive the storm, but if we had had an anchor, it would have been much easier. 
I think that's going to serve as a pretty good illustration for what we're talking about here today in Psalm 146. We want to ask ourselves in a topsy-turvy world, in a world that is that feels as though the winds are against us on every level, to whom are we anchored and where can we find our solidity? That's what we're going to dig into here today, and that will simply be our theme of Anchored. And I want to look at three different areas that the psalm writer kind of puts in front of us. So we want to be anchored to faithfulness. We want to be anchored to freedom. And the last one is when we're anchored to faithfulness, anchored to freedom, then we are anchored for praise. So those are the three areas that I'd like us to to kind of pick out from this psalm, Psalm 146. You're welcome to follow along with me at home if you'd like. Uh, Psalm 146 is kind of an interesting one. It comes at the very end of the book of Psalms. So the book of Psalms is the Old Testament believer's hymn book. And 146 starts the last of, of, it's kind of the coda and the conclusion to the entire book of Psalms. It's the first of five what we call Hallel or praise Psalms. And so Psalm 146 is the very first of five Psalms that are all going to point our hearts and our minds to praise of God above. But what's really fascinating is, is that the psalm writer knows that um, on some level as human beings, it's not just enough for us to say, yeah, praise, give thanks. The psalm writer actually sandwiches uh, um, that praise and, and says we ought to praise, but then gives reasons and reminders of why we can praise and concludes with it once again. And so that's kind of the tact we're going to take. We're going to look at that middle section and then conclude with praise and what that looks like in the life of a believer. So let's begin with verses 3 through 6. I'm going to go ahead and read that for you, and we'll, we'll start to dig into this psalm. The psalm writer says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. But blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. And so right off the bat, the psalm writer anchors us into something that is far greater than ourselves and warns against finding anchors and solidity in the things of this world. What's real fascinating is the first thing he warns against is putting our faith and our trust in the people around us, in princes or those that are in authority. Now, our text and our our English translation here uses that word princes and those that are in in authority. But really, the picture there is is benefactors, those that, that in an earthly sense can help you. Maybe through finances, maybe through power, uh, maybe through, through the laws that they enact. But really, the psalm writer is saying, we ought not put our faith and our trust for our lives here and now and for eternity in those that, that seemingly have power and money this side of heaven. Now, maybe practically speaking, what's he talking about there? Well, we are on the eve of a national election. And I don't think it's very hard for us to make an application to elections of presidents, of senators, of governors, of mayors. I don't think it's very hard for us to see the application of putting our faith and our trust in in people that we hope 
are going to be able to legislate our lives into better situations. And I think there's temptation for us in that. I think there is distinct temptation for us as believers to filter our world and how we treat people and the people around us, not through the lens of Christianity, but through the lens of a political party. And once we start doing that, we're on the wrong path. In fact, the psalm writer tells us, don't put your your faith and your trust, don't anchor yourself to princes, to governors, to presidents, to prime ministers, or to those who are in authority. Rather, anchor yourself to the God of Jacob and to the faithfulness that he has shown for thousands upon thousands of years for you and me and for all people. I think there are times when we're in danger of doing just that, putting our hope and our trust in our elected officials or the circumstances around us rather than the God of Jacob, our fortress. But my guess is it goes to an even deeper level than that, doesn't it? Because most of us probably intellectually, and even when I talk through it with you, um, we intellectually understand um, we are not expected, we should not expect our elected leaders or those around us to be responsible for our happiness and our joy. And as, as well-adjusted adults, we understand that, right? But I think it goes to an even deeper level. See, the psalm writer is basically telling us, don't put your faith and your trust in anything in this world because all of it, both people and things, end up in the ground. All of it comes to nothing because each and every one of us um, do not last forever. And our, the best plans and the best things that we've done all fade to dust for the next generation. And I think in that, there is a distinct temptation. Are you placing your faith and your trust and your happiness in the arms of a spouse, a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe in the success of your children? Are we putting undue weight on the relationships in our lives for our happiness, for our sense of well-being and value? Are you... Uh, anchoring yourself in the size of your, your bank account and the finances that you have. And maybe to dig even deeper in that, not just the finances, but the freedoms that they, uh, that they give you. Is that the last thing in the world that you would want to lose? See, I think when we drill down, there is a temptation for each and every one of us to anchor ourselves into things or into people rather than our God above who is eternally faithful. It's just kind of how our hearts move and it's exactly where Satan wants us to go. He would like us to anchor ourselves into anything and anyone as long as it's not God, as long as it's not the God of faithfulness for generations. If you felt that temptation, then you're not alone. Guess what? The psalm writer knew that. In fact, he reminds those hearers and us here today of that temptation that's before us. And so he turns our eyes off of ourselves, the people around us, or the things of this world, and asks us to focus our eyes on the faithful God that we have above. The faithfulness that he has for us, the promise of a Messiah, the fulfillment of that promise, and 
all of the things that come from it. And so the very first point we focus on is anchoring ourselves in the faithfulness of God. But the psalm writer doesn't stop there. He not only tells us to focus on that faithfulness, anchor, be anchored in that faithfulness, but that faithfulness also leads to freedom. The faithfulness of our God above sets us free. Let me continue on with verses 7 through 9. It says this, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Did you see something that repeated there? Every single one of these things, all of this faithfulness, the Lord does. And there's a point there for us, isn't it? We don't have a God that has um, um, political platforms. We don't have a God that makes promises and sometimes follow through, follows through on them. We don't have a God that, that um, tells us what he's going to do and then, is not, and then is unable to get it done. In fact, the opposite. The psalm writer reminds us of the power of our God and that he is a God of action. The Lord does these things, not you and I, not the governors and presidents and and prime ministers and governments around us. The Lord does these things. The Lord stands with those that are disenfranchised on the outside looking in that have no hope other than a God of faithfulness. The Lord does these things. Why is that so comforting? Because the Lord sent his son to die on the cross to make these things a reality. And we're talking about a far bigger picture than just earthly freedoms and and earthly sufferings and the things that we go through in our daily lives. The Lord made a promise to send a Messiah. The Lord sent that Messiah. His name was Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross to set us free. Freedom from sin. Freedom from from finding our value in the things of this world. Freedom from all the brokenness and the fractured lives that we live in. That's why Christ came. The Lord did that. Christ did that on our behalf. And if we want an incredible picture of that, we heard that in our gospel lesson from Luke. Because Jesus comes to his synagogue, to his church, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah talks about freedom for the prisoners and for the oppressed and for those that that are suffering under the storms and the perils of this life. Jesus reads from that scroll and says to those in his hometown and to you and I, that's why I'm here. And so that faithful God sent a Savior, that Savior Jesus Christ has anchored us in freedom. You are no longer subject to to the sin in your lives and, and the brokenness of this world because you have a Savior that paid the price in your place, a Savior who went to the cross, who laid down his life for you so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven, that no matter how Uh, rough this life may get, no matter how fierce the storms are in your face, and at times when you can't see more than an inch in front of it, you have a Savior that is steady through it all. 
and you have freedom because of his sacrifice for you. This weekend, we celebrate the Reformation, and there was a monk named Martin Luther who held desperately, dearly to the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And to say that the storms that were blowing in his face were fierce is an understatement. Martin Luther found the grace of God. He found it in the book of Romans. He found it on the pages of Scripture. And he found freedom in Jesus. Not in who he was, not in what he had done, or the church body he was a part of, but he found freedom in Christ and in the grace of Jesus. He took that freedom to his church and to his world And our world has never looked the same since. Luther was anchored in that freedom and in the grace we have of Jesus. It set him free and on some level set the church free. Let us do the very same thing. Let us be anchored in faithfulness of our God above, a God who makes promises and does not break them. Let us be anchored in the freedom that Christ won for us on the cross. And when you do both those things, Do you want to know what it leads to? The psalmist already told us. It leads to praise. It leads to thanksgiving to our God above for all that we have. Remember, this is a psalm of praise. The psalm writer began it telling us to praise and ends it as well. Let me read for you both the beginning and the end of this psalm. He says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And how he concludes it, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. And one last, praise the Lord. Because see, that's where true praise comes from. True thankfulness comes from. Knowing the faithfulness that we have in our God above and knowing the freedom that was won for us in Jesus Christ. It produces praise. And what does that praise look like in your life as a believer? Well, I think it's pretty varied. But praise at its core is trust and faith in our God above. And I think that comes out in in at least three different ways as we live lives of praise to our God above for being faithful and for the freedom that we have. Comes out as people of certainty, as people of compassion, And the last one is people of hope. Our praise um, creates in us as believers that we are people of certainty. What does that mean? It means that we know where our value comes from. And it's not from the politicians who happen to be in power. It's not from the size of our bank account or even the people around us. But our value comes from our God above and the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. And there is a certainty in that. There is a consistency in that. As we consistently praise our God, whether that is in person or virtually, that we go to our God in praise and we give Him thanksgiving for knowing that um, our value is not based on the things of this world, but is based on the eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so as believers, our act of praise is a level of certainty in a world that at times feels incredibly out of control. But you can bring that to the people around you, to the relationships around you, to your workplace, to your school, to your families, and to your neighborhoods. Let's be people of certainty, consistency. The second one is that we're people of compassion. 
We know what it feels like to be on the outside looking in. We know what it feels like to not be able to to bring anything to the table and to be completely um, um, dependent on the mercy of our God above. We know that and we have that. And if so, if there was ever people in this world that were going to be um, compassionate, let it be us as believers. Let us, us look out for those that are disenfranchised, that are on the outside looking in, that are separated from God and that desperately near, need to hear of a Savior that loves them. And the last one is that we're people of hope. I don't know how you feel about this election coming up. I don't know if you're hopeful or if you're pessimistic. <laughs> but I know for us as believers, we can be people of hope. Because we are anchored into a God that does not come and go with different administrations or with pandemics that come and prayerfully leave as well. Because you are anchored into faithfulness and into freedom. You are anchored into something that is far bigger than yourselves. You're anchored into hope. The hope that comes from Christ. And when you do that, you're in pretty good company. Did you know that that symbol of an anchor was an early Christian symbol for early believers? In fact, we have images from catacombs from the first century on, uh, gravestones, tombstones, stained glass in cathedrals, carvings of anchors. And what a beautiful picture it was. Because for those early first and second century Christians, they could not say the name Jesus. They could not praise him in a public way. They didn't enjoy the same freedoms that we enjoy in our country. And so oftentimes a simple symbol of an anchor was a reminder of the faithfulness and the freedom that they had in Jesus Christ. They would carve it into the catacombs and into their tombstones. It's an incredible picture of what we have in Jesus. And in truth, it's a scriptural picture. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says this, We have, you have, this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And so I don't know what storms are in your life, the problems and the struggles which are unique to you. And I don't know what the coming days, weeks, months, and year will bring even for our nation. But brothers and sisters, I know this. We are anchored into faithfulness, the God of Jacob who does not change, who is constant for us. And we are anchored into the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And when you are anchored into those things, you're ready and anchored for praise. May the Lord bless you as we continue in our week. May the Lord bless you as you bring that message of hope to a world that desperately needs it. Amen. Mm -hmm.